You're listening to Dodge Movie Podcast. Your hosts are Christy and Mike Dodge, the founders of Dodge Media Productions. We produce films and podcasts, so this is a podcast about films. Join them as they share their passion for filmmaking. All right, welcome back, everybody, to the Dodge Movie Podcast. You are listening to episode 69, Love, Simon. This movie came out in 2018, and it is written by Elizabeth Berger. It's directed by Greg Berlanti, who is the producer on The Flash, The Green Lantern, and Arrow. Yeah, I know him more for superhero films. Yes, and it was very... series. Yeah, and it was interesting when he was talking about kind of it helped him coming from a place where the story takes place in a world that generally isn't bound in reality, it helped him to actually tell this story, he said. Hmm. Because he needed to he needed to ground himself in in something similar to he he described it better than I am. I, I apologize, Mr. Berlanti, but he said that it actually helped him when making this film. I'm going to continue on with what I do best because I'm not describing <laughs> what he does best. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It stars Nick Robinson, Jennifer Garner, Josh Jumel, Catherine Lanford, who we know from 13 Reasons, Alexandra Ship, Logan Miller, George Lindeborg Jr., and Tony Hale. Tony Hill is a fantastic dorky vice principal. He really is in this one. Yeah. So the this movie involves Simon Spear, who's keeping a huge secret from his friends and his family and all of his classmates that he's gay. When that secret is threatened, Simon must face everyone and come to terms with his identity. Thank you, IMDb, for that. We've got a couple taglines, and let's see. I think... I don't know if I shared them with you. Oh, I think I shared one. Let's see. The first one is, he's done keeping his story straight. Oh, clever. Everyone deserves a great love story. Doesn't nah. really say what's going on in nah, the movie, though. Nah. Experience a love story that must come out. A little bit clever. Yeah, because it's, you know. Come out. Making right. a nod. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think this one might be my favorite. Love honestly. Love fearlessly. Love completely. Love, Simon. Yeah, I'm still voting for he's done keeping his story straight. I really like that one. Oh, you like that one. Okay. The trivia, a couple bits of trivia that I found. A lot of bits of trivia I found. (laughs) (laughs) This is the first film produced by a major Hollywood studio featuring a gay teenage protagonist. Now, I read that and then I tell you that like a couple of the movies that we did this month, I read... This was the first <laughs> like female lesbian right. led. <laughs> so it's the old adage is that if you look up any bridge, it's the fir- first or best at, at something. So it's probably the same thing. Every film about like a person from the LGBTQ community is probably, oh, they're the first one that did blah, blah, blah. Right. It would make me sad if if it took us to 2018 for us to have a gay pro. Because I, I think of like of Milk. That, that came out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's yeah. a gay protagonist. I mean, Harvey right. Milk. Yeah. Hello. I, I can't. But but I think they get it by teenage. Right. Yeah. Teenage protagonist. That, oh, gosh. Well, that's. And then you could argue that like a Mean Girls, the friend was obviously gay. So, huh. Curious. Yeah. So I would be curious. And then I have a note here. It marks the second time a major studio has made a film that showcases a sympathetic portrayal of a leading homosexual character coming to terms with his orientation ending on a happy note. The first one was in 1982, a film called Making Love, which I don't remember. Yeah, it's odd. I normally, you know, I was familiar with uh, 
personal best and other films of that era. Right, exactly. And then this is fascinating to me. Actors Kristen Bell, Neil Patrick Harris, Matt Bomber, Tyler Oakley, Jesse Tyler Ferguson, Ben Pasek. From, uh, wrote the music for Dear Van Hansen. Exactly. Andrew Reynolds, Joey Gracefa. I've never heard of him. And a few screenwriters, I won't bore you all, were so moved by the film that they bought out theaters in their hometown so that the film would reach as many people as possible. And Jennifer Gardner and Greg Berlanti were so proud of being part of this project that they did the exact same thing. That is quite interesting, yeah. I like that. Huh. Also, there was a similarly themed show. I actually remember this show from 81 to 83. It starred Tony Randall. It was called Love, Sydney, And it was a middle-aged gay artist shares his New York apartment with a single mother and her little girl. And the single mother was played by Susie Kurtz. Do you remember that one? Uh, vaguely. So there was on TV, we saw right. gay characters in a, in a positive light as someone who, you know, I remember he was well-to-do. He, you know... Yeah, he wasn't played as kind of the... I wouldn't say he was the, a caricature. Yeah. Now, I can't think of the, the show in the sitcom, but there was, in, in that era, in the 80s, there was a sitcom character where he was a tall, tan, blonde guy, and he wore scarves, and he was really over-the-top mm-hmm. flamboyant. Mm-hmm. So, kind of approaching Nathan Lane's <laughs> performance mm-hmm. in Birdcage. And so, that was a, the kind of the, the way they were portrayed. So, it will be curious to talk... And maybe I can do some research before we talk to superfan RJ to find out like kind of, I don't know, a timeline or a trajectory or kind of just fact checking this statement of this is in 2018. This is the first one. Yeah, that feels a uh, it feels late. Feels yeah, a, a a bold statement. So, but you're right. Maybe there's enough like caveats and adjectives in there right. that, that justify. But it does feel a little uh, yeah. Yeah. All right. So kick us off, Mike. Tell us the pickup line. I'm just like you, right? Which I, I think is is an accurate opening kind of salvo because this film is really just a romance about between teens. So mm-hmm. if you kind of step back and leave gender out of the equation, right? Yes, the story works. There is a, he has a mysterious pen pal and he's trying to identify who that is. He falls in love with this person by writing letters. So it's kind of a little bit like um, the Brownings, right? A very common story. And it just happens to be that they're both guys. I think so. That's interesting though, because they're, the, the stakes are heightened. If you're, I mean, it's get, I would hope it's getting easier, but I guess if I had a crush on somebody and somebody found out it's not as tragic or it's not, you know, like the stakes are definitely higher for Simon. Well, they could be. I think this story has been shown to work in the past where there are class issues involved yeah, yeah, and racial issues and other things. So this is one of them. Yeah. And, and in fact, there's a good line of dialogue from Jennifer Garner's character where she said after he tells her that he's gay. Um, he comes out to his mom. Mm-hmm. She says, do you want me to be surprised? <laughs> and I thought that was an, an interesting way to say, here is a person who is established to be a therapist, right? Mm-hmm. So she's obviously aware mm-hmm. that there are gay people in the world. And I kind of felt like from people I've observed throughout my life, that there are times when it, it's fairly obvious that a person likes members of the same gender. And there's nothing wrong with that. But it's just like one of these things where if you see a kid growing up over time, you might have that. And so you figure his mom would have maybe some clues and mm-hmm. maybe she didn't know. But in this case, it's like, okay, she mm-hmm. kind of had a good idea. Right. 
I th- yeah, that that was a sweet scene, too, because she pretty much says you're still the same kid you were before you told me this. You know, you still right. are the one that, you know, I helped you learn how to ride your bike or you're still the right, one. Exactly. It's just it, as a mom, it's well, some moms, sadly, some moms don't handle it very well. But for the most part, they're, they're your kid and they're the same person. So you just love them just like you did before you had this knowledge. Right. I And I agree with you. I, I think it probably is still an issue for some some kids, mm-hmm. but I would hope that over time there are more parents who have the reaction of Jennifer Garner's character than otherwise. Mm-hmm. Right. So I noticed when we watched this that the line that he says, and then he goes on to say like, you know, this is my mom, this is my dad, I have a sister, and even, you know, I like her, don't tell her, kind of, he goes on to describe his whole thing, which ends up being the exact thing that he posts on social media anonymously. So I thought that was interesting kind of to to parrot it again, yeah, like word for word. And Um, I think parts of it, like you mentioned, don't tell my sister that I like her, is establishes that he is just like the other teenagers, right? That's a fairly common yeah. We reaction. don't we don't want people to know how like sweet we are, or that we're nice to our sibling. We want to be like ah, that little brat, right? Um, <laughs> she says not having any siblings. Although I will say, there's a scene early on where we've established that the sister is an aspiring chef of some sort. She's yeah. experimenting in the kitchen, uh-huh. and she makes gourmet pancakes, and he takes one bite and leaves. And that is a crime. I'm sorry. Were they not good? Well, maybe that's what we're supposed to think. I don't know. I thought the sister had her cooking dialed in. Ex- oh, well, except for I thought at one point Josh Jumel took a bite of something and kind of was really overacting how good it was. Cause, okay. And we maybe. were to know. Maybe that was it and I just missed it. Sure. But which is, you know, and that happens when you're experimenting. So under the acting casting category, I love the drama teacher played by Natasha Rothwell. And if you watched Insecure on HBO Max, she plays Kelly, kind of the sarcastic friend. And she is perfect in this character, I think, or in this character. I think everybody would want this drama teacher because she goes to bat. In fact, she inappropriately dresses down some bullies. I mean, I say inappropriately because it's fully appropriate what she does, but I don't think that there's a teacher out there that would do this (laughs) for fear of, you know, oh, yeah, coming in under some criticism. Some Karen would demand they get fired. Right. And, but what she says to these boys who are just being horrible, totally appropriate, is what we all would love a a teacher to kind of go to bat for us and say, so it's pretty, and she just, it's almost like she kind of gets the kids and she just doesn't take any shit from them. And I just loved this character. It's interesting that when we talk about the best way to prevent bullying is Mm -hmm. for a second person to (laughs) physically go and stand next to the victim. Yeah. Oh yes. Yes. And just think how powerful it would be if the adults at school just heckled the bullies. Yeah. Right. So I think we maybe have gone a little too far in the other direction. Because I think you're right. In a modern era, I don't know that a teacher would feel comfortable saying that. But I think it's important that people who do treat others like that, whether it's their sexual orientation or anything else, we have to heckle them. I, I, and so I think it was, it, it made sense in the film because we all wanted that to be the case. But yeah, it was maybe a little unrealistic. Yeah. <laughs> and then in just another note, under casting, the director's real life husband briefly appears as the soccer coach. Oh, the soccer coach. I don't remember the soccer coach. <laughs> I, I don't either. I'm sorry, Mr. So- Berlanti. <laughs> yeah. Robbie Rogers. Sorry, Mr. Rogers. We didn't. 
<laughs> and maybe that was intentional. He said he wanted just like a couple frames. Don't make it too big a deal. Right, right. So what did you think about the acting of this as a whole or different parts of it? You had mentioned Catherine Langford before. I don't think I, I saw the show that you referenced that she was on. Wait, Natasha? Catherine Langford? Who's that? Yeah, it's his friend Leah. Oh, um, oh, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yes, 13 Reasons on Netflix. But I thought she did a very good job of communicating the unrequited love wordlessly, right? Just with her nonverbal acting. Uh-huh. I thought that he did a very good job of being hesitant and making bad choices. I mean, sorry, the actor who played Simon, Mm -hmm. now I'm talking about. And so I felt that was believable. I liked it because, like I said, sometimes gay characters are portrayed as very flamboyant and everybody can be whoever they are. But his performance was exactly like that opening line. He was just a normal teenager who happened to be attracted to this other boy. Mm -hmm. And everything else about his performance was just teenager. And I thought that was perfectly weighted. Yep. I really like that. And as I mentioned before, I thought Tony Hale did a great job in being the dork that's trying to be cool, but isn't really. And then the set dressing helped it out with the posters in his office. They matched his performance perfectly, (laughs) just like he's trying so hard and just missing, right? Well, I thought it was funny that, and maybe this is like so clever. So he kind of takes a... Not a shining in a creepy way, but just like in a friendly way. Yeah. He 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 reaches out to Simon frequently and he says, he even tells Simon, I see myself in you. And I thought, is that because his gaydar is going off and he knows Simon's gay? But then later when Simon comes out, he's shocked too. But I thought he kind of knew it because at one point, like when, I think even when we meet his character, he shares with Simon that like he's on Tinder or something. And he, and he looks at him like, vice principals can date. Like he's, you know, defending that he can date too. Because the last thing that teenagers want to think of is adults, you know, kind of carrying on in romantically or sexually. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. They just want none of it. And so he's just like, I don't want to think of you that way. And so they had like this kind of cute relationship, although I think it was more one sided. Tony Hale felt that they were maybe better friends than Simon did. Yeah. Well, because he's the dorky vice principal. But I thought that was actually well played too, Tony Hale's delivery, because then once it comes out that when Simon is outed against his will, uh-huh. right? Tony Hill greets him as he comes into the school and and he says something and, and then he, he says this awkwardly basically like, well, when I said it, I was like you, I, I wasn't saying, and he doesn't want to say I'm not gay because he doesn't want to make it a bad thing. And just that whole awkwardness I thought was perfectly, again, perfectly weighted because I think that kind of person would do that. They would feel compelled to say something, mm-hmm. but it would just be awkward and clumsy because that's kind of how he was with everything. Right. Now you had an issue, and I I have to agree with you. If his parents are assuming that he is straight, and he has this friend, Leah, who I think they do establish they've been friends since grade school. I think they said since kindergarten. And they're like best friends. They go to a party. They come back home. The parents even know that he's been drinking. We have dialogue that establishes they're aware that the kids are drunk. Yes. The kids go up to the room and and it's like, oh, it's okay if I sleep over. And I think Jennifer Garner even says like, sweetie, you've been sleeping order- over since the fifth grade or something like that so that we know this is a new thing. And the kids just go upstairs and the parents are just like, oh yeah, they're drunk. And they're... <laughs> And they're a boy and a girl and and they're sleeping over. And we were like, we paused it. We were just like, Uh, wait a minute. There is no way. Even if one of them was gay, I don't think. 
I still don't think they would because we have uh, evidence and stories from people who are gay who do say, well, I, you know, tried to determine, am I really gay? So I tried it once. And yeah, I just, I can't imagine parents having two drunk teens who could get <laughs> someone pregnant being unattended, right? I don't care if they're great friends. Right. That that still could lead to experimentation. And yeah. Just and please, uh, let's be clear. It's not that we think there's anything wrong with the teenagers doing no. anything that's appropriate for teenagers, but we just don't think that parents would sit by idly and be like, right. good night. <laughs> yeah. Bye-bye. Have a sleepover. <laughs> We're like, no. Parents would put a stop to that pretty quick. And I think when, when that's put a stop to maybe depends on some other factors, but I believe by that point in time, once people hit puberty, I think most adults would be a little uncomfortable with that. And not because, like you said, anything's wrong with teenagers having their own sexuality yeah, and there's... doing things, but just somebody could get pregnant. That is a huge life-altering thing. I just don't think the parents that we've established them to be in the film would be just totally like right. uh, that, that relaxed about it. Agreed. So there's a fun dance scene. They kind of do this fun tongue-in-cheek. There's a scene where they make a point about, you know, straight kids don't have to come out. And so it's this over-the-top, a few of the kids from the movie are coming out to their parents as straight. And then it's these parents having this, you know, like over-dramatic reaction, like, oh my God, no, you, I can't believe it. And and so that's kind of fun. And then there's this other scene where they're kind of making fun about how he would come out. And I said, for any of anybody who knows this reference, I said, it looked like an up with people, <laughs> rainbow dance, kind of all these people wearing primary, you know, rainbow colors and right. singing is as Simon is kind of, I think it's when he's telling his folks. So I, I did make a note, and I, before I, I go further, I want to mention that I consider myself the worst dancer in the history of humankind. I just, I have zero character points in dancing. I can't do it. But I noticed that the actor who played Simon, the character, he didn't do a lot of dancing in the dance number. <laughs> no, he didn't. There was some skipping. Right. And I thought, is that basically what happens when the dancers have been practicing for two weeks and then the actor shows up to film and they say, how good a dancer are you? And he says something like I just said, I'm the worst dancer in the history of humanity. And they're like, great, you're skipping, right? Well, or is it even like some people might, you know, stereotype gay kids oh, yeah. as having good Fair rhythm enough. or as being a good dancer. And it's like, just like Simon isn't flamboyant. Right. Not all gays are maybe good dancers, right? right? <laughs> so that makes just, tons of sense. Like, what was your pickup line, right? Yes. He's I'm just, just like you. Yeah. So. And yeah. Yeah. So if it was a, a choice of story, then I, mad props, tip of the cap, that was well done. Yeah. And if it was just like the actor didn't have the time with his busy schedule to learn the number, please don't be offended that I, right. I implied that you can't dance. <laughs> I'm sorry. So in the in the film, he is writing to somebody who he doesn't know. It's somebody anonymous on like a, a message board, which is just like, you know, there's no message boards anymore. I thought I thought or he, was it emails? I thought it was mostly email. I oh, thought okay. they maybe originally got connected off of some. Yeah, some okay. website, but it was emails. So I was going to ask you, what do you think about the writer director showing us who the person is before letting Simon know. So the audience knows, but Simon doesn't know. Well, 
I, I will say they had the actor that Simon thought it was doing it. And I thought that was very clever mm-hmm. because at first I thought, oh, does he know, like, do we know who it is? And then I realized when it went to the second one, oh no, this is him. This is kind of what he sees in his head. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that was clever. I thought there was a point, are you saying we don't know until the end of the Ferris wheel? Yeah. Okay. Spoiler alert. The first person he thinks it is, is Bram, who it really is. So that's where I thought, oh, this, like the director showed us. But then at a certain point, he no longer thinks it's him and he thinks it's another kid. And then they show that kid giving, delivering the dialogue and doing the things. And then I realized, oh, this is portraying what is going on in Simon's head. So that part I thought was clever. Except for it confused me because I think I thought, because, okay, yeah. Well, remember that I, I did see this film previously. So this is my second viewing. <laughs> it's, yes, it's at least my second because I saw it in the theater. Yeah. So it maybe was more confusing the first time around. Yeah. So then there's the moment where that you were talking about him kind of being clumsy because he lied to his friend, Nick, that Leah liked him to try to kind of keep the scent off of himself. And he, he kind of lies to a couple other people and kind of sets up a romantic kind of situation to try to because there's somebody who has his secret and who is blackmailing him. And so... He does some things that we wish he wouldn't, you know, it's, right. it's kind of, and, and it, it backfires because like three of his friends are upset with him and kind of almost aren't going to talk to him for a bit. He risked quite a bit to try to keep his secret. And you, <laughs> I know you were just joking, but you're like, Simon's an asshole or you said something. And I was like, but I think it's totally appropriate because when you're 16, 17 and high school is life, like it's just, it seems so important. If somebody had that kind of secret holding it over your head, you probably would turn your back on your good friends. I think it's age appropriate yeah. sphincter behavior. <laughs> but yeah, I, I agree. I, I do think, I mean, I stand by my assessment. The character really did some rotten things and I think his friends called him out on it. Obviously for the film, they sped across the part where they forgave him, but yeah, it he really, it was indefensible. However, you're right. Once you... It, once you establish the premise that protecting his gayness is the most important thing, then obviously, yeah, he a teenager is going to do those other behaviors. They follow. This is good writing because yeah. they're, they're a natural consequence. They seem inevitable once he has gone down that road. And even though we look at these choices and we say, well, you're you know betraying several of your friends and you're not being fair to this poor Martin kid who's not really a friend, but it's just like, you know, what, what did he do? Then, then yeah, it's, it's kind of indefensible, but it is also very understandable. Right. I think some of the biggest lessons I learned was in high school and I did shitty things because I was kind of probably acting on my own best interests. And then when it backfires, you realize like, oh, that feels worse. And so you, that's when you learn kind of those maneuvering friendships and, you know, stuff like that. And I didn't, I mean, I didn't do anything horrible, but well, at least <laughs> don't ask my friends, but right. um, <laughs> well, I, you know what I mean? I mean, I think that's natural. That's when you learn why you don't do that stuff because you hurt somebody's feelings or you upset right. somebody. I, I will not re-traumatize this person, but I remember vividly I made a what I thought was a throwaway joke that I thought the person I was speaking to would know was a joke. And apparently they repeated it as fact. And then it got around for this poor person. And, and while what I said, I didn't think was the end of the world. I felt bad that 
that this individual experienced anything but happiness and joy because I had said this and now this was a rumor and I didn't intend to start a rumor, but you know, got to be careful what you say or who you say it to, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I think we all learn those things at that, at that time. And to me, it was just so age appropriate that he wouldn't think, oh, well, I could totally defang this whole situation if I just told my friends, hey, look, you know, you've probably figured out, but I'm gay and this person's trying to blackmail me. So what can we do? Right. Mm -hmm. That would be a more productive way to go about things. But he's a, he's a teen. That's how he learns it. Right. Mm -hmm. He makes that mistake and, and hopefully learns from it. Mm -hmm. What did you think of Josh Jamel at the end? Because his dad made some comments through the course of the movie that weren't as sensitive. And I think he wouldn't have made if he had realized his kid was gay. And so he's kind of like clumsily trying to apologize and tell his kid, I love you no matter what. You I know. think that's actually really well done. Because often the characters are depicted either as, we knew all along I have my pride t-shirt right here. I've been waiting to put this sticker on my car. Or, get out of here, you blah, blah, blah. Right, right. right. Um, and instead, uh, I think Dumel did a great job acting, but the character was well written, mm -hmm. of a, a person who just doesn't have any kind of frame of reference. So his wife is a therapist. She obviously, you know, got her degrees in psychology. She has a lot of understanding of how humans work and sexuality and these things. And they established many times, like, oh, he was the popular quarterback in high school. And, and he's obviously, Josh Dumel's a fantastic looking human being on screen. And, you know, he's tall and got that smile. And so you assume he's gone through life in a certain path and he hasn't really had any exposure to this. So I think it was perfectly appropriate for him the way he he clumsily tries to, you know, reconnect with his son. I mm -hmm. thought it was really well done because it showed that he loved him, but he wasn't able to do all the things you would see on, you know, like a, a Lifetime special or something like that. Right. I thought it was... I completely agree with you. I thought the clumsiness that was either in the writing or then that Josh portrayed in the acting was perfect because at one point he's like, you know what I mean, you know, and it was exactly, just like, and, yeah. and Simon kind of yeah. let it left him, let him off the hook. And he was like, yeah, I know. Like he was even, it was this uncomfortable kind of moment, but yet I, you could tell Simon's character you know, appreciated it. it. His dad's trying. His dad's making amends for stuff he said. And, and, and I think it was appreciated by Simon. I thought it was a sweet moment. Yeah. So just a little quick trivia note. In the closing scene of the movie, when Simon and his friends are driving through the neighborhood, they drive by the house that was used in life as we know it for the 2010 movie that also starred, starred Josh Jamal. I noted that the Waffle House served as a set, which I thought was kind of fun. I think every town needs a cute little Waffle House. And under sound, Simon's coming out dream sequence was to Whitney Houston's I Want to Dance with Somebody, which Jennifer Garner gets ready to for a night out in the film 30 going, 13 Going on 30. Right. No Josh Jamel in that, but if I recall correctly, uh, Tom Lennon was in 13 Going on 30. Oh, the love interest was Mark Ruffalo. Oh, Ruffalo. Yeah. So it was kind of fun that movie recently with Ruffalo playing the dad. It was on Netflix. It was like the Adam Project yes. with Ryan Reynolds. Yes. And so they were in it. They were playing love interests again. Do we have any head trauma in this film? I have no listed head trauma. Okay. How about a smoochie? Smoochie, smoochie, smoochie. Well, we have 
two smoochies that I made note of. One, Simon smooches Bram atop the Ferris wheel at 1 hour 43 minutes and 0 seconds. And then a little bit later, at 1.45.22, they peck again when Bram gets in the car for the carpool ride to school. There was no, there was, there was some making out at the party. Not of, of, of Simon and anybody though. Oh, oh, you only do the leads? No, but I don't pay attention that close. I, I, I tend, I'm just telling you, I tend not to write down if it's you're just a secondary or an extra. You, traditionally, you've only said it at the end when the two leads that we... Yeah, that's who we're focused yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Just a little backstory for the listeners. We don't, we don't do every smooch. It's the, right. the payoff smooch, as it were. Yeah, exactly. Okay, how about a driving review? Okay, so first of all, what kind of parent gives their kid a Subaru legacy? <laughs> Do you not like your kid or what? Uh, I'm just teasing. Because what is your youngest drive? A uh, Subaru legacy. Okay. <laughs> Probably the same color. For, he bought for it, though. We didn't give it to him. We, so. we, we helped a little bit. <laughs> I, I have to say, I love it. Uh, they had a nice bit about the hair trigger overly restrictive seatbelt. So anybody who works in the automotive industry in seatbelts, I have some thoughts I'd love to share with you on how those things are tuned. <laughs> so Simon has two up and one down. The one down is he ran a stop sign. Mm-mm. One of my pet peeves. On the up category at the party, he gets drunk and he does not drive. So points to them for not driving whilst drunk. And great job. He used his turn indicator even when he didn't think it was necessary. And I, I, I want to send this out, especially to those of you driving BMWs. Use your turn indicator all the time. <laughs> now you're just using your platform for your own good. Yes. <laughs> all right. So we go to the numbers. Let's go to the numbers. All right. This is episode 69. Like I said, we watched it for free on Amazon Prime. It came out in 2018. It had a budget of $10 million, and I would say it was a success. It brought in six times that. Yeah. But, uh, domestically, it brought in about $40 million, and worldwide, about just under $25 million. So they they got a 6X on that. That was Good work, successful. Mr. Berlanti. Yes, I'm sure you'll get to make another. So let's see. On IMDb... They, I would say they liked it at seven and a half out of 10. Rotten Tomatoes gave it a 92%. Thank you, critics. And the audiences, they were a little bit under 88%. It's it's just under uh, two hours at one hour, 50 minutes, and it's rated PG-13. It is listed as a comedy drama romance, and it is a Fox 2000 Pictures film. It was, it was interesting. Where would you say, unless you've already looked or saw over my shoulder, where would you say this was filmed? Like, where is it set? Oh, it's, I think it's set in Maryland or somewhere over yeah, there. Yeah, I would have guessed New England too. Filmed 100% in Atlanta, Georgia. Boy, those Atlanta people set dress real well. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it felt, it had a very New England feel to it for me as well. Oh gosh, I want to say I even saw license plates that identified it as, oh. as in Maryland or an adjacent kind of northeastern state. Yeah. Next week's film is going to be the half of it available on Netflix. So to all you Netflix subscribers, you can watch another free movie. We're doing good this this month. I think we hit, if you subscribe to certain services, we hit all free movies. which I try to do. Sorry. And have a great week, you guys. Enjoy Pride Month. Go do a Pride event. I'm going to do a couple. So if you want, just uh, hit me up and we, you can tag along if you're in the Portland area. And never forget, Dodges never stop and neither do the movies. Thanks for listening to Dodge Movie Podcast with Christy and Mike Dodge of Dodge Media Productions. 
To find out more about this podcast and what we do, go to dodgemediaproductions.com. Subscribe, share, leave a comment, and tell us what we should watch next. Dodges never stop, and neither do the movies. 